0: I don't know how much you've been following the federal inquiry into the government's use of the Emergencies Act. It's underway, of course, now into week two in Ottawa. Um, There's been lots of interesting headlines that have come out of it. We'll get to some of those over the course of the next hour. But one of the things I found most interesting was just how police in Ottawa were speaking to each other about just how long... Um, this convoy was going to stay in their city, um, so today we 've heard from from uh, the former mayor or the outgoing mayor rather he is about to be the former mayor jim watson we 've heard from um, the Ottawa police. We heard today from the former head of the ottawas former head of Ottawa's police board and the OPP but again, a lot of interesting things percolating out about just how they planned for the arrival of this convoy and then what happened when it all didn 't go according to plan so today. Um, the former chair of Ottawa's police board, Diane Dean, said that Ottawa's police chief told her in late January, keep in mind this had already arrived at this point, that he would be very surprised if protesters stayed for longer than one weekend. Here's how she put it.
1: He said to me, what are you so worried about? And I I, I told him just what I told you, the the number of tracks, the size of those tracks, the amount of money that they have. And and he, he said that he would be surprised if they were still here on Monday.
0: Well, they were certainly still there on Monday. National Post reporter Tristan Hopper joins me now. Thanks so much for your time. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. So have you been watching this federal inquiry? I mean, I can't watch all of it because there's other work to do, but uh, when I do dip in, it's pretty pretty interesting stuff. I'm shocked that the police chief in Ottawa thought this was going to be done by Monday morning.
1: Yeah, and that, uh, that would have been quickly dispelled by, like, talking to any of the truckers. Uh, I mean, I was tracking the, the the protest in its earliest days before they got to uh, Ottawa. And, yeah, it was pretty explicitly said, uh, we're going to stay in Ottawa for as long as it takes until they meet all our, you know, demands. And then they published those demands, and the demands were nuts. Uh, so, obviously, they wouldn't be that. Uh, so, yeah, that's obviously a failure of intelligence or even just basic googling.
0: Yeah, and I I gather that the intelligence was there. I mean, they'd been warning. There had been warnings that... uh, I'm not sure how well it was circulating, uh, but, you know, the hotel people in the tourism board, I guess, or someone in the hotel business in Ottawa, said, yeah, they're booking rooms for weeks. Like, they're they're not going anywhere. What have you made it so... I mean, there's been some blame game going on. There's been some interesting stuff popping in and out, but what do you think so far of what you've heard in terms of what went wrong?
1: Obviously, everyone screwed up, uh, so I, I guess it's reassuring I I, I guess it would be even worse if we showed up and there was just a bunch of people who were legitimately doing their best and had done all they did and, you know, still the capital was uh, occupied for weeks by, you know, two, three hundred people. So uh, I I guess I'm reassured that everyone is so incompetent uh, in this story. And I think, especially in the Trudeau government, they like to talk a lot about, like, our standing on the world stage. Um, I guarantee when there is an international forum going on, everybody is snickering in Canada over this. Uh, I mean, if you had a bunch of trucks show up and say like, oh, we're going to occupy Paris until our demands are that we're going to occupy London, uh, none of no other major G7 capital would just say like, oh, okay, sure. Just, uh, you know, park wherever you want. And I assume you'll be gone in a few days. And we saw that. I mean, there was some warning because people had seen what had happened to Ottawa, but uh, like in Paris, great example um, you had for like a few hours, a, you know, freedom convoy that was trying to replicate what had been done in Canada and the French police just surrounded the capital and, you know, turned away any trucks and they had, you know, police uh liveried uh backhoes uh, you know, to smash anything over if you know, it was a problem. Um so yeah, they, yeah, the fact that we were just so easily taken over by a very easy uh easily avoided threat is quite embarrassing.
0: Yeah, having done stories in those cities specifically around terrorist attacks and so on, I mean those are those cities are, are very police those capitals, whether it be London or Paris, uh, they're very policed. <laughs> you don't notice it as much, but if you look at if you pay close attention, uh there is a huge police presence. Think speaking of uh difficult weeks, um, Danielle Smith, let's let's play what she had to say.
1: I don't think I've ever experienced a situation in my lifetime where a person was fired from their job or not allowed to watch their kids play hockey or not allowed to go visit a loved one in long-term care or hospital. or not allowed to go get on a plane to either go across the country to see family or even travel across the border. So they have been the most discriminated against group that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime.
0: Yeah, uh, the new premier of Alberta last it's still week. That's um... technically correct
1: because she did say what she's witnessed. So, you
0: know, we don't True. know. True. <laughs> true enough so you've written about this already in passing um what do you make of of the first week it's been, it's been it's been quite the week to watch because you have liz truss in in england just you know in britain just absolutely you know it's it's a gong show there right now and then Danielle smith seems to be having a very hard time getting out of her own way here
1: Uh, Yeah, this is – well, this is – people always ask, like, hey, why are politicians always just delivering boilerplate responses, and they're so boring, and they always just dodge the question? Uh, We're kind of seeing that in real time why that happens, because you get someone like Daniel Smith who just says what's at the top of her head, and some of those things are not tremendously well thought out. That sounds like something I would say after, like, four beers. Um, and, yeah, it's it's not going to come off well. So th- the point she was trying to make is, yeah, it's it's true within basically the last generation. Uh, we've never taken a demographic of people and, you know, talked openly about denying the medical care, as we did with the unvaccinated. Uh, but if you're going to say something like, oh, it's most discriminated against, you know, people – Uh, yeah, immediately you're going to say, what about residential schools or, you know, the pass system uh, in Alberta, uh, you know, it wasn't phased out until the 40s. If you're indigenous, you literally couldn't cross borders without a signed uh, pass from your Indian agent. So, yeah, if you're going to use hyperbolic language like that, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, And whatever original point she was trying to make, it just turned into 24 hours of like, oh, I didn't mean you. I meant those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, it was. And then... To top off all of that, and you wrote about this as well, then she, at an earlier date, now she'd already, I think she was already back in politics, but maybe not officially. But this, certainly after the invasion of Ukraine, certainly after we found out about the massacres in Bucha, she was sort of equivocating about you know, Ukrainian uh, neutrality and they may have nukes. So in she wanders to a very sensitive subject, the, the war in Ukraine, with a very large Ukrainian diaspora in her province, and then quickly had to pedal that back today or yesterday it was um, another one. So she came out saying we don't want to hold each other accountable for things we've said in the past, and now she's being held accountable for things she said in the past.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. So her initial response was, ah, oh, yeah, this is the media politicizing it. So it was people in her inner circle saying, like, no, 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 this is different from the other things. Uh, like this is this is you questioning whether Ukrainians had some part in deserving their own invasion. And I need, need I not, need I remind you? You oversee one of the most Ukrainian jurisdictions outside of actual d- Ukraine. So maybe this wasn't the best thing to do. Um, I think, yeah, actually, outside of if you just look at subnational jurisdictions uh, outside of Eastern Europe, I think Alberta is the most Ukrainian place on earth.
0: It, yeah, and she, she certainly. Do you think this is gonna? I mean. Tough first, first weeks are tough first weeks, and people were going to go dig up things she'd said in the past because, of course, she's, she talks a lot. She was a talk show host, right? Um, do you think this will hurt her long term? Do you think she's already uh, dug herself oof,
1: a hole? I don't know. I think everybody knew what they were getting with Daniel Smith. So, yeah, it's always, uh, I guess you, you weigh political damage by whether it uh, changes the original opinion you had of that person. So I think two weeks ago, did any of us think like, oh, Daniel Smith, she's very careful with her words and she would never say anything offensive. And she's always very well thought out and evidence based. Um, I don't think anybody thought that. So this is, you know, somewhat on brand for her, I guess.
0: I guess one of the things I found interesting, too, is that she's getting pushback now from people who are like, why are you apologizing? You know, we, we didn't we didn't we didn't want you as the leader. I mean, it mightn't be UCP supporters, but people are sort of fans of Daniel's, where they saying, why are you apologizing? You know, forget them, forget them. Of course, they're going to give you a yeah, hard time. Yeah. And
1: I could see that. Uh, so yeah, and I don't even think it's just related to the issue. There's just, people are just triggered by, uh, the sight of a conservative politician apologizing because uh, I, I think it's, they have a, they have a point that, uh, yeah, conservatives are expected to apologize a whole heck of a lot more. Um, at least in the media, like, uh, you know, you know here, here's me talking about media bias. But I think if you're a conservative politician, when your media scrums, you're going to be asked a lot more than your, your average NDP or Liberal politician to apologize or condemn the comments of some other right winger. Um, you know, prove me wrong.
0: I, I I would I would agree. I mean, that's one of those go-to Canadian stories. Is you know, you have a you have a, a relatively big tent party where people have very different views about fairly contentious subjects, and the first thing you do is track down someone in that party to ask them what someone else said, even though it had, rarely has much to do with them. You know, that's that's tried and true, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think there is a, a body of conservatives who just, like, never, ever, ever apologize. You're playing into their game. You know, just 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 take it, no matter what it is, uh, even on this issue where uh, I actually kind of disagree with
0: you. Yeah, and Pierre Polyev has, has, has kind of taken that tack, too. Stephen Harper certainly did back in the day.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, uh, I mean, look at the federal level uh, with Paulie I think uh, people like Polly Everett for a number of reasons. Uh, but Aaron O'Toole spent a lot of his time apologizing, and Polly Everett doesn't. Yeah. And I think the rank and file conservatives like that.
0: Tristan Hopper is with us for the National Post this half hour. Uh, Tristan, I, I, will, I always love when you go to do stories that you obviously have a, a bone to pick with something. And the whole story about why Canadians pay more for certain things than anyone else on the planet struck me as one of those. What what prompted you to want to write that one?
1: Oh, uh, this was actually um, I noticed I, this is an idea I stole from Twitter. It was someone else oh, on Twitter enough. who was pointing out that uh, credit card fees, uh, as you know, we may soon be getting charged credit card fees at the till. So they'll be like, "Well, because you used a credit card, it's going to be an extra two percent on your bill." And then there was an article about that, and it just mentioned, "Oh, by the way, Canadians pay some of the highest credit card fees on earth." Like, way higher than anybody else. Everybody else pays, like, maximum 1%, and we're up to, like, 1.4%. So this individual on Twitter uh, was pointing out, why are there so many things in Canada that are just bafflingly way more expensive than anywhere else, and there's no real explanation, and everybody just goes with it? So I tried to tally up all of the things to which that applied.
0: You found some interesting, some obvious ones. I think we all know about cell phones. If you ever set foot in another country, you're like, wait a second. How come it's so cheap here? When I was in England, I paid 30 pounds for unlimited everything for 10 days. That's it. That's it. You know, that you get nothing here. Cell phones. But you found some other interesting ones too, though.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, well, milk is an obvious one because we have supply management. We have the world's most expensive milk. Uh, Yeah, we have the uh, banking fees. It's actually one I I, I missed. So credit card fees, banking fees, those are all uh, unbelievably high. Uh, Air travel is very high. Uh, So you just look at, uh, like, the amount you pay per 100 kilometers traveled, uh, and it's, you know, upwards of five times what you pay in the United States uh, and Europe. So that's another thing you notice when you go to Europe. Hey, the cell phone is basically free, and I can take this Ryanair flight from London to Spain for, like, you know, five euros. Uh, so obviously we have nothing like that yeah. uh, in Canada.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, did you did you come to any did you find any answers? Because I read through it. obviously. Oh yeah, but, I know uh,
1: I, I I perfectly answered why all of these prices are so high, with you know some notable exceptions. Um, some of it's taxes. So fuel prices, we have the highest fuel prices in the Western Hemisphere, obviously. Uh, that's all taxes. But most of these are just because uh, we have sort of oligopol- ol- oligopolistic systems. Um, so oligopolistic is a
0: good word yeah
1: oligopolistic yeah. uh, so <laughs> with uh cell phones uh with air travel um with milk um you basically have the canadian government saying well we don't like the idea of foreign competitors coming into the canadian market so we're going to put up these huge barriers to entering the market to any foreigners and just reserve it to canadian-owned companies so you have two or three canadian-owned companies that say okay great the government's keeping out any competitors so let's just kind of you run things inefficiently and jack up the prices, and there's no one to stop us. Um, so that's usually the explanation for all of, all of these. And that kind of goes back to the beginning of Canadian history. I mean, that that was the deal with the Hudson's Bay Company. Just Okay, yeah, you uh, have a monopoly to trade for. Uh, we don't care how horribly you do it and how many people you piss off. You have a monopoly, so nobody can stop you. That's there you the go. Railroads. And that's what we do with many of our sectors. We can't stop doing it, and we love doing it
0: yeah I always wonder like at times like this when prices are high when grocery prices are just out of control, how come we never never rise up we never we never pick at our local our local grocery store and say i'm I'm not paying that you know I'm not paying nine bucks for a cauliflower. move on, we don't do it we're quite a I in think that it's sense, the
1: only foreign country we compare ourselves to is the united States so true. i think uh if if geographically say we were you're we're located in Europe and everybody was just taking weekends away in Belgium or France and could easily notice. You know, vastly different changes in prices. Yeah, I think there would be more public perception of how wrong this is. But uh, I, I think, yeah, we just have the U.S. to compare. it. Like, well, they have slightly cheaper uh, cell phone rates, but yeah, everybody gets shot there. So I'm I'm proud to be
0: Canadian. Um, yeah, we so, have our healthcare, and they don't, and so we're better, and that's it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I I do think uh, there's there's an, a number of things that we just sort of tolerate uh, because we assume or uh, we just believe. Uh, these oligopolies, like, uh, whenever you ask the cell phone company, it's like, why is it so expensive? They say, well, it's cold and uh, really big here. So, uh, you know, it's really expensive uh, to run yeah, it cost, people just buy it, that, it, but Australia has low, that's you know, pretty big, pretty hot. There's spiders attacking the towers, and they have low cell phone
0: rates. Yeah, if anything, it's even harder to put, you would think it's even harder to uh, to put service across parts of Australia than it would be put across a relatively slow, small sliver of this country where just about all of us live. Um I will, this is our, so we're asking people about their favorite 80s guilty pleasure songs tonight because we have. of the heart. That is a guilty one. That, you, you bet, yeah. Tristan, you, you like, you jumped right in. Did you think of that or is that just the one you know? That's it's,
1: it's just obvious. That's yeah.
0: it? That's it? There is no other one? That's good. Yeah, that's, well, that's a good yeah, body I, my,
1: my, my 80s mix has gone. I was only a three-year-old uh, in the Agreed. 80s. Agreed. Uh, Not uh, the, yeah, whole the, time. The, the The playlist has been expanding.
0: Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. That that, that is it. That is a very good track. Whale is uh, on.
1: Bonnie Tyler.
0: Wales is zone yeah. It's a heartache. She was kind of the female Rod Stewart. That's how she was referred to. I'm older than that than you are, obviously. But that's kind of how she was marketed. But she was uh, she was great, yeah. Wales Wales turned out a lot of good singers over the years.
1: And anybody New went to a Christian school, school, this is the song they played when there was a dance routine that they did against drugs, and there was someone playing the drugs, and then you know some kid dances with them and gets like addicted to the drugs. Anyway, anybody who went to a Christian school knows the use of this song in this weird anti-drug play.
0: That's how Totally Eclipse of the Heart was used in that? That's the first time I heard it, yeah. I had no idea. I I, I wonder if Bonnie Tyler knows that. (laughs) Tristan, thank you as always for your time. Uh, Much appreciated. Have a great rest of the week.